We're going to read right now Jesus' parable of the workers and the wages. Some people call it the workers in the vineyard, like workers and wages. And uh, this is the basis for the sermon today. And as I read this, I want you to ask yourself this question. Where am I in this parable? Here we go. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, that the worth of a denarius is a day's wage. Okay? He agreed them to, pay, to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. Very normal. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, well, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Well, because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, well, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, probably an hour later, not much, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius, a day's wage. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Am I not being unfair to you? Friend, didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do, do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am so generous? Jesus concludes, so the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. I'm terrible at math at accounting, terrible at accounting. I'm terrible at economics. My wife keeps track of all our bills and our invoices and pays them all. I, I, don't, I don't touch the stuff. She won't let me. I try once in a while, and she says, stay away for good reason. Here's an example. I have these bookshelves, that I, these crude bookshelves I was putting together in my home office just to get more bookshelf space. And I didn't want to buy some really fancy ones because hopefully I'll be moving out of there soon into a new church building and have a nice big office with fancy bookshelves. And so I, just, I thought, well, I could just go to Home Depot, buy some bricks, get some boards, you know, cut them, and, and make some crude bookshelves. So I, I measured the wall. I, I took my measurements with me. I actually had them written down. I go to Home Depot. I buy the bricks. I buy the boards. I take them home. I still have my sheet. I look at them, I cut, I bring them into my office, and uh, yeah, um, that, there's, a, there's space on my wall that, that should be bookshelf and books, and it's empty. Because someone, I don't know who, someone, you know, like stole that end of the bookshelf, and it's not there. 
I, I, I cut, I measured. At some point, I did it wrong. I did the math wrong. Yes, for a simple, I know, you're, see, you're laughing. For a simple project like this, yes. So don't ask me to design our new building or to make business plans or, or spreadsheets. Uh, I'm not the guy. But I feel good in this. I'm in good company because Jesus is bad at math. I mean, Jesus says some crazy stuff in the Bible that makes absolutely no economic sense whatsoever. Let me give you four examples. Here's, I think, the most popular one. Jesus applauds a shepherd who leaves 99 of his sheep to go search for one. And so these 99 are now in the open country. They're totally defenseless against coyotes or against their own wandering instincts, which is what happened to this one in the first place. And if the shepherd goes off to get this one, and then he brings the one back, and he's, Jesus says he's all full of joy, but there, there's got to be more to this story. As in, 37 of the 99 were eaten by coyotes, and 22 are now lost. For a net total of 99 minus 37 minus 22 plus the one who was found I think that's 41, but check my math. It doesn't make sense. And there was this woman once, a sinful woman, who anointed Jesus with $90,000 worth of essential oil. And his disciples gasped. And they were like, well, a half ounce would have been enough. Even an ounce would have been fine but not that much. That, that money could have, we could have saved that. That could have gone toward the synagogue budget. And Jesus shushed them and said to them, what she just did is a beautiful thing and will always be remembered. See how bad he is at math? And then he's in the temple and this, uh, this poor widow puts in two puny coins and Jesus brags about it and belittles all the rich people putting in all their money. And if you talk to anyone in fundraising, they're going to tell you that's a quick way to lose your donor base. Bad, bad at math. And then this story. I mean... Jesus apparently, he tells it for a reason, apparently approves of this employer coming and, and paying the workers who only worked an hour the same that he pays the one who, who worked 12 hours. I mean, that's a, you, you just don't do that for employee morale, nor for fair compensation. Philip Yancey mentions all four of those uh, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace? And then he says this, Why would a widow's pennies count more than a rich man's millions? And what employer would give lazy latecomer employees grossly unfair paychecks that disrespect his trusted regulars? Jesus, these stories, and especially this one, the workers and the wages in the vineyard, make no economic sense Whatsoever. Remember, of course, they're parables. They're not real. But that's Jesus' point. He's not bad at math. He knows math better than all of us put together. He's the Son of God. He's, he knows it all. But he's purposely telling stories that make no economic sense. Why? 
to convince us and to teach us and to always tell our hearts that always need to hear this, that you can't calculate forgiveness, that grace doesn't add up, that, that there's this economy when it comes to God's mercy, and we can't apply the econ- economic principles of our world to God's mercy. It can't be calcul- calculated. So, forgiveness is not something that you or someone who has hurt you must toil or sweat or strive to earn. And forgiveness is not for you or someone who has hurt you, something that only belongs to those who are in a club of some kind where you earn a badge of some sort. Jesus made that point clearly by the employer's response to the group of of, uh, full-day workers, and then he turns to one of them. They were complaining, right? We should get more. He turns to one of them, the, the employer, and he says this, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Right? That, there's, you agreed. Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't, here's the key here. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Think about this. I want you to answer this question in your head, Okay. These, these full-day workers, the one who worked the 12-hour day, right? The, the heat of the day, they bore the burden of the work. Are they ticked off because they are getting less than they deserve? Or are they ticked off because the lazy latecomers who worked only one hour are getting more than they deserve? Which one? Right now, Alan's saying, well, that's a trick question. He's in our Jesus Leads Me class, and they all accuse me of asking trick questions all the time. I don't know how true it is, but it's true in this case. It's not either or. It's both. They, they both. They both contribute to the right answer. Right? It's relative. It's that's. That comparing is that's what the problem is, is that the, they didn't get as much as they, they wanted, and it was all because they were comparing with the others. It, either on its own isn't a big problem, but when they're brought together, that's the problem. Are you envious because I am generous, the, the employer asks. You see it? Envy. That's the problem, envy. And I can't envy if I'm not comparing. But when I compare, that's when envy sets in. That's what the the employer points to as a problem. The problem isn't that the the day's wage, the contract, that's the the hard work all day. None of that is a problem. But you're comparing now, and it's got you tripped up. And then the employer says, by the way, I'm not comparing. I'm, what, is he, what word does he use for himself? I'm generous. When you're generous, you're not envying. He's not looking at the other landowners, the other employers, and saying, oh, I, 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 better, I better step my game up a little bit. I'm not going to have enough profit. I'm, I, he's not comparing himself to those. He's, 
He's just saying, you know what? I'm generous, and when I'm generous, this is what I do. I remember my mom oftentimes getting upset with my dad when we'd go out to eat for giving ridiculously large tips to, to some of our servers sometimes. And uh, I kind of picked that up from him, and I, I like doing it too. Um, sometimes you just, you don't do the math. You just, you just do it because you're generous. That's what the landowner is saying. You see? So he's not caught up in the envy and the comparing, and they are. So here's their problem. They couldn't see what the employer saw because their math focused on what is deserved and not on what is given, not on, not on the gift. So now let's look at this comparing, this envy. So here's how it works practically. I'm going to give you some examples. Okay, What prevents us from forgiving others? You just take that step back. So, so there's people that are hard to forgive. Why? I need to take the step back and say, where am I envious here? How am I, how am I doing some comparing? So that, uh, that associate of yours, the, the, you know, the, the fellow employee who's, uh, who doesn't put in the kind of work that you put in, gets the promotion that you should have received. <clears throat> or that no good neighbor who lets their sprinkler system go on on the odd days when they have an even house number, eh? right? And guess what? Guess what happens? Yeah, they're... Storm damage from the winds in Pflugerville, and they're right, they're, they're downed fence, the tree on their house, all their storm damage, that was covered by insurance and yours wasn't? That's not fair. Because you, you irrigate on the days you're supposed to, and they don't. So why do they get envy comparing? Your teammate, who doesn't come to all the practices, but you do, gets praised by the coach, and you don't. And then, now, see, that, then apply it to forgiveness. God, I'm supposed to forgive that person who has hurt me or sinned against me or maybe is sinning against me? And they're not working very hard on not sinning. I'm, I'm working hard here to try to forgive. I'm, I'm giving. I'm, I'm coming to the table. I'm contributing to this forgiveness thing. And they're not contributing at all. They're not working very hard. Why should I forgive them? Why should I take the hit and they don't? Why should I lose and they win? Comparing. Are you envious? And our hearts have to say, Yeah. So Jesus says this, forgiveness and forgiving grace is not about finishing last or being first. It's not about, what do you mean? They're going to win and I'm going to lose. Jesus says, ah, that's bad math. It's about not counting whatsoever. That's Forgiveness, which after all is a gift, and it's why it contains the word give. So from whom are you withholding forgiveness? I, I, I just think this, this story of Jesus 
points to something that, that maybe we don't put our finger on enough when we're struggling to forgive. Is that we're, we're just trying to add it up. We're trying to do the math. We're trying to count. And Jesus says, forgiveness doesn't have a scoreboard. Forgiveness, love one another deeply, we heard in our first Bible reading. The Bible says, when you love deeply, you're not, you're not keeping score. It's not win-loss. It's not first-last. It's not, we, we've worked all day and you've worked. That's comparing. That's envy. And Jesus says, that's not what forgiveness is. Or it's, or, you don't do that or it's not forgiveness. Then it's earned. So, let's just give Jesus the teaching moment here to, to speak to our hearts, to call us out to convict us of wanting to, to calculate forgiveness, to count and add and score. And then to comfort us with this. Jesus never counts any of that against us. Jesus counts none of our sins against us, even our sin of not forgiving others their sins. Jesus doesn't count it. I love this verse from 2 Corinthians 5. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Not counting. No scoreboard. No black book that God, the Holy Father in heaven, is keeping. And every time you do something wrong, That's counting. And the Bible says God does not do the counting. He doesn't keep track of your sins. But you're reconciled, 2 Corinthians 5 says, reconciled, right? Like, not me, but other people reconcile a checkbook. And I think that means you get it to, a, to balance zero, right? That no, no, everything's right. There's nothing out of balance. There's nothing wrong. So when, when the Bible says reconciled with God, what it means there's nothing wrong. There's not, you owe this much, this needs to be taken care of. You're, you're right with God. So, who are you in the parable? In the, in the parable of the worker and the wages, who are you? I have to admit, that I, I love looking at these parables through forgiveness because I'm looking at them with, with new sets of eyes. And I, I just thought, I believe for my entire life, and, and I'm thinking this is true of most Christians, maybe you're an exception, have heard that parable and have considered myself, just because of a self-sensitive conscience, I'm, I'm high on the, the strength of responsibility. I think responsibility and commitment is very important. If you say you're going to do something, you do it, and right, you show up on time and all that stuff. That's me. And so I, I'm like, I'm the responsible worker in the parable. I am the one who works all day. I'm, and my conscience con, convinces me of that. And I've, I've almost always seen the parable from that perspective. But what if? What if I'm the, late, the lazy latecomer worker? What if I'm the one who wasn't as responsible? Who, who maybe whose resume wasn't as polished like mine would be? I, I didn't go out marketing like, like you should and for, to find a, a job. I, I didn't network. I wasn't on LinkedIn. I didn't know the right people. I was just hanging out in the marketplace, kind of like, eh, I don't know. And, and the, 
the, the foreman came and said, hey, you want a job? And through no effort of my own, he just came and hired me. Oh, sure. And that's me. Can that be you too? You're not polished as much as some others, perhaps. And you have your messes and your mistakes and you're, you, you don't work as hard as you could or should or your conscience tells you should or your spouse tells you you should or your kids think you should or who others say. Can you find yourself there? As, as not the first, but as the last? And let me suggest that when you do, if you do and can, that's what Jesus means when he says the last will be first and the first will be last. Is that really the only thing you need to have the forgiving grace of God is to need it. I, I like seeing myself as the latecomer workers now. And I'm going to do that the rest of the times I hear this parable. So let me cover a couple things, uh, some, some doctrinal points that, that uh, affirm this parable that are elsewhere in the New Testament. And then I'm going to tell a story and then we're going to wrap up. So here's some doctrinal points from the book of Romans that say a lot about reconciliation and about uh, sins not counting. Okay, So reconciled like a checkbook ledger. Um, the book of Romans says, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. When? Excuse me? When were we reconciled to God? When did God say, it's all good? You're, it's okay. I'm, I'm not counting anything against you. When, according to that verse, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him because his own son became the enemy. His own son suffered our sins and our guilt and our pain and was an enemy of sorts of, of heaven and of the kingdom, but he was really the savior of the world, our rescuer and our deliverer. See that? God doesn't wait for you to make yourself pretty. He doesn't wait for you to make yourself strong. Kids, he doesn't wait for you to grow up and be more mature in your faith in order to have his love and be forgiven. He doesn't count attendance. He doesn't... He, and even if you're his enemy, even if you are wanting to spit in his face, God says, but I've reconciled you through the death of my son, and you can't undo it. The, the checkbook ledger is, is balanced. There's nothing wrong with us. That, isn't that free mercy? Isn't that forgiving grace? And then 1 Peter 5 verse 10 says this, the God of all grace will restore you and make you strong. What is God going to give you to restore you and make you strong? Are you worried that you are going to sin 50 times and God can only forgive you 49 times? 
Do you feel guilty or depressed or anxious about a, a, a secret way of sinning that you have that, and you feel like God's patience is running out and he's just, he's done. He's had enough. You feel like maybe he'll give you a, an ounce of grace and you need a gallon? Then look at this verse again. The God of how much grace? Does it say the God of half grace? The God of grace light? The God of all grace. So when, how does God respond to your sinfulness? All grace. How does he answer your prayers when he asks him for the right things? All grace. How does he take care of your kids when, when they're growing up and you're not with them or when they're little and you can't be there? All grace. How does he want you to treat others? All grace grace. And that, my friends, makes you strong. Forgiveness restores. Forgiveness makes you strong by the mercy of God. Finally, one more. It has to do with counting. Back from Romans in, in chapter 5. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You are not going to max out the credit card of God's grace. You're not. You can't. God's grace is so big and so faithful, there's always enough. And where there's more sin, there's more grace. That's his free mercy. And that's the mercy that he wants you to have on others too. Here's my story. Uh, I, I watch our nation struggle with what to do with immigrants and man, what exactly does that look like? We try to figure out, what does a building look like that we should put up on this piece of property? And we've been at it for years. I, what's, the, what's our clear direction there? What does that look like? A couple weeks ago, I talked, or last week, I talked about parenting. When, when do you discipline? When don't you? When do you encourage? When do you... Demand. How, how do you use rules? What does what the, the perfect balance of parenting look like? And then a couple weeks ago, I talked about being a good Samaritan. How often should you stop when someone is abandoned on the side of the road? How many, how many people on, on interstate exits uh, should you give money to or not? And what, is, what does that look like? I, I give all those examples because I think they're all in the same boat. They're hard to figure out. But let me say this. In all of them, if we rely only on calculating, only on spreadsheets and analysis, only on facts and statistics, purely and only on the numbers, I I don't think we're acting as Christians that God wants us to be. And in each of those scenarios, even the, I know it's political, even the immigrant one, our, 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 our nation's leaders are not called to be Christians. They're called to be leaders, and we want them to apply Christian principles. And so that's even difficult. But the answer to that and parenting and being a good Samaritan, even our church building, let's make sure that we listen to Jesus' bad math 
And we say, there's something to the answer that has mer- is full of mercy, that has forgiveness and grace in it. So what happened to me, the, the Sunday after I preached about the Good Samaritan, then our Pflugerville Happiness, Pflugerville Happiness Project team was here, a bunch of teenagers, and I'm, I'm running around with my head cut off. We're trying to get flyers to 10,000 homes, and they're working hard, and I'm driving here and there and running errands. I'm headed down to Holy Word Austin to make a delivery, and I want to get back so I can hit the street and, uh, and deliver flyers. And wouldn't you know it, I'm driving down Dessau, down in northeast Austin, 55 miles an hour, trying to get, and whoop, there goes an abandoned car kind of on the side, in the median on the side of the road. And I rubbernecked. Yeah, I wonder what's wrong. Oh, and then it hit me. I just preached on the Good Samaritan. I better stop. So I pulled to the side, ran to the car, kind of pushed back my, tip, my, uh, my feelings because I've passed by before. I'm not a saint. So I've stopped. And I had all those reasons why. Oh, I don't think I see anybody in the car. Oh, the, the flashers aren't on. Oh, this. Oh, that. Yeah, probably. I bet someone else has stopped and left because there was... I, I, None of that was true. This is a mom and three kids sitting in a hot car, SUV. Uh, and, she sa- and I said, do you, uh, do you need help? Can I help you? And she said, well, I have two problems. I ran out of gas, and then I also need a jump because I was, just had the, the ignition on trying to keep us cool, and I'm out of battery. Well, that, says, that answers why her flashers weren't on. In, right, I have to get back to the kids. We're supposed to deliver flyers. I made, I made the schedule. I have to be there at the certain time that I said I was going to be there. I could, and, and I had to push all that to the side. I don't have my cash envelope that I used to pay for gas. How can I get? Well, okay. So I had to use my credit card. Went to the gas station close by, bought a gas can, filled it with gas put it in the car. Sorry, honey, your car smelled like gas fumes for a week. Um, took it to her, got jumper cables out, facing the wrong direction, traffic whizzing by at 55 miles an hour, you know, three inches from my head. But I stopped counting. I just, I just stopped doing the math. I might get back late. I might not canvas 10,000 homes. I might canvas 9,992. Uh-oh. I, I, I just stopped counting. And, and it was just neat to... I'm glad I preached the parable of the Good Samaritan because I, if I hadn't, I, I, again, I might not have stopped this time. But thank you, Lord, that I did. So I, I jumped the car, got the gas in. It was dripping all over. Got on my shoes and got on my hands. And, uh, and God's grace, got the cables right, and it, and it worked, and her car started, and the AC, AC was on, and meanwhile, her mother had pulled, and her mother came out of the, the, her car after it, we had success, and we were ready to go, and, and she said, um, thank you so much. What do we owe you? And I said, I, nothing except maybe this. Remember that God loves you in many ways, and they're all free. I pray that I can remember that when it comes to forgiving others, too. And I'm thankful that God remembers that when it comes to forgiving me. Amen. Let's pray.
Thank you, Jesus, for this powerful parable yet again. As you unravel and unwrap just a little more this gift of your forgiveness so that we can look at it and and see how shiny it is and full of splendor because we often cover it up with the dirt and the gloom and the shadow of our earthly ways and of our human instincts and ideas. Thank you that the glow and the sparkle of your love and your forgiving grace you will never allow to go out and that it always fills our hearts with joy and with peace and with clarity that that you love us and that you forgive us. And may that, Lord Jesus, empower us to forgive others too. Please help us when we're tempted to be envious and remind us of the love that you have for us and that we we shouldn't compare ourselves to others, but you have the right to forgive and give mercy to all. And then help us to be as generous with others as you are with us. Amen.